Chapter Fourteen of A Casket of Cameos. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. A Casket of Cameos by Frank W. Boren. C. G. Finney's text. Charles Grandison Finney was a lawyer to his fingertips. It was his law books that made a Christian of him. In a sense of which Paul never dreamed, the law was his schoolmaster to lead them to Christ. When at the age of twenty-six he entered the office of Mr. Benjamin Wright, a prominent attorney in Jefferson County, he was, he assures us, as ignorant of religion as a heathen. He had not heard half a dozen sermons in his life, and had never felt the slightest interest in the matters with which the preachers dealt but the law-books cured all that. The law-books opened his eyes. In studying law, he says, I found the old authors frequently quoting the scriptures and referring especially to the mosaic enactments as authority for many of the great principles of common law. This excited my curiosity so much that I went and purchased a Bible, the first I had ever owned, and whenever I found a reference by the law authors to the Bible, I turned to the passage and consulted it in its connection. This led to my taking a deep interest in the Bible. From that time forth the young student lived on his law books and his Bible. The two classes of literature were always within reach. Sometimes the one was uppermost, and sometimes the other. As long as the Bible appealed only to his legal and intellectual faculties, he allowed it to lie about his desk like any other book of reference. It never occurred to me, he says, to be ashamed of reading it. But when the Bible began to strike a deeper note, and to awaken in his soul spiritual convictions and responses, a singular sensitiveness crept over him. I kept my Bible out of sight. If I was reading it when anybody came in, I would throw my law books upon it. And so the law books and the Bible shared his heart between them. In the end, the Bible won. Little by little the Bible took its place as the supreme assize to the final court of appeal, the one august tribunal to which all questions were submitted. I felt myself shut up to my Bible, he says. The law books had to take second place to the Bible, but they never sank below that. Finney was a lawyer to the end of the chapter. He thought as a solicitor thinks. He pleaded as a barrister pleads. He had merely accepted, as he himself put it, a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause. It soon became clear that if he had declined that retainer and pursued his profession in the ordinary way, he would quickly have climbed to its highest places and won its most coveted prizes. His vigorous personality, his acute intellect, and his persuasive oratory would have secured for him the most dazzling distinctions that the courts and legislatures of his country could confer. Somebody said that his preaching was logic on fire. For this reason he appealed as no other man ever appealed to the legal mind. I have always been particularly interested, he said, towards the close of his life, in the salvation of members of the legal profession. I understood pretty well their habits of reading and thinking. I have always found that when the gospel was properly presented, they were the most accessible class, and in proportion to their number, more of them have been converted than of any other class. 
I have often been impressed, in conversing with members of the legal profession, by the manner in which they would consent to propositions to which persons of ill-disciplined minds would have objected. It has often interested me to notice, he says again, that when lawyers have come to my room, they were ready to submit to Christ the moment that their difficulties were cleared up. Indeed, they take a more intelligent view of the plan of salvation than any other class with whom I have had to do. Finney believed that the gospel was preeminently reasonable. Unbelief, he argued, was an intellectual absurdity, a prostration and a stultification of man's proudest and stateliest powers. He saw an even loftier logic in Calvary than in Sinai, and appealing to the intelligence as well as to the conscience of two continents, he gained in an extraordinary way the verdict that he sought. No preacher was privileged to take a hand in the conversion of Charles Finney. It was his Bible that did it. And one text in particular. As soon as that Bible of his began to touch that deeper chord within his soul, he separated it from the law books at the office, took it home, and began to read it in secret. It was no longer a book of reference, but a book of revelations. Just at this point, he says, the whole question of my personal salvation opened to my mind in a manner most marvelous at the time. I clearly saw the reality and fullness of the atonement of Christ. I saw that his work was a finished work, full and complete, and I saw that all that was necessary on my part was to get my own consent to give up my sins and accept the Savior. Wanting in him nothing, I saw that his work is a finished work, full and complete wanting in me my own consent i saw that all that was necessary on my part was to get my own consent to give up my sins and accept the saviour it was on october tenth eighteen twenty one a day that he annually commemorated that our young lawyer with his keen analytical mind narrowed the issue down to this definite compass it was early morning he had been reading his bible before starting for the office and now that the crucial question stood out so clearly, he resolved to settle it once for all. Just outside the village was a thick wood, coral with the song of birds and carpeted with wild flowers. Often on a summer's evening or on a Sunday, he had sought its delicious seclusion. He resolved to go to it instead of to the office on this misty autumn morning. Penetrating the thickest part of the forest, he found a place where several giant trees had fallen across each other, leaving an open space between. He resolved to make this enclosed space the sanctuary of his soul. As he crept into it, he vowed that he would never leave it until he had received the assurance of salvation. He knelt in prayer, but there came no answer to his frantic supplication. He heard a rustling among the leaves. He fancied that his devotions were observed and he rose in confusion and dismay. Then, ashamed of his shame, he shouted at the top of his voice, declaring that he would not leave that woodland retreat unforgiven, though all men on the earth and all the devils in hell stood gaping around him. To think, he said, that I should have been ashamed of being caught in the act of making my peace with my offended God. The wickedness of it appeared awful, infinite. It broke me down and with that outbreak of contrition the light suddenly dawned. Like a bolt from the blue, a passage of scripture shot into his heart. 
ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart ye shall seek me ye shall find me when ye shall search with all your heart i do not think he says that i had ever read that passage but i felt that it was the word of god i instantly seized hold of it with my whole heart i was as conscious of trusting at that moment in the veracity of my god as i was of my own existence lord i cried i take thee at thy word thou knowest that i do search for thee with all my heart i have come to this place for that very purpose and thou hast promised that i shall find thee that seemed to settle the whole question i felt that i had performed my vow he had sought he had found for he had searched for god with all his heart he walked back to the village and found that it was dinner-time he had spent the whole morning in that leafy sanctuary devoting the afternoon to the office he then went home there was no fire and no light in the room yet it appeared to be perfectly light as i went in and shut the door it seemed as if i met the lord jesus christ face to face he said nothing but simply stood before me and i fell down at his feet and poured out my soul to him and there in the evening the work of the morning was consummated and crowned with all thine heart the spirit seemed he says to lay stress on those four words with all thine heart ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all thine heart with all thine heart that is ever the stipulation of love love knows only one unpardonable sin it is the sin of apathy she will overlook any other defect but she can never forgive a phlegmatic lover she capitulates unconditionally to the whole-hearted with all thine heart she loves the lover whose passion is never daunted the lover whose love is fire burning in his bones the lover who will not take no for an answer she loves to be courted with ardor persistence and intensity and these three priceless qualities ardor persistence and intensity were the outstanding characteristics of charles g finney they shone through his conversion and they flamed through the great heroic life that followed with all his heart he believed with all his heart he labored with all his heart he preached to countless thousands the everlasting gospel his intensity was the intensity of a great fear he felt that his sins had intervened between him and his god and that unless he could get rid of them there was the gravest possible danger that the estrangement might prove permanent the thought filled him with unutterable alarm he often closed his bible with a shudder his intensity was the intensity of a great faith o woman great is thy faith said the saviour to the syrophoenician woman who would not be repulsed and finney's faith was modelled on hers i will never leave this place he said as he clambered over the fallen trees i will never leave this place until i have received the assurance of salvation it was an echo of the faith that made jacob a prince with god i will not let thee go he said to the angel that wrestled with him except thou bless me the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by storm that was the secret of charles finney's triumph his intensity was the intensity of a great fervour he was borne down as he himself puts it with the weight of immortal souls 
and he preached with all his heart in hope of saving them he thunders and lightens says dr john campbell whitfield's tabernacle he thunders and lightens in a manner to shake the heart of any assembly rousing the most apathetic and awing the most careless at times his voice falters and his eyes become suffused with tears he made men feel that he was in deadly earnest and that the things of which he spoke were the only things that mattered a fiery spirit was finney's to the end of his long life he stated his case as an advocate states it his logic was penetrating pitiless overwhelming but it was logic on fire he reasoned with all his heart and his heart was hot a fiery spirit was his and fire burns it consumes purges devours whenever finney preached evil shriveled up withered and slunk away in shame after finney visited a town people were busy for days in restoring treasure to which they were not entitled one man sent another a check for fifteen hundred pounds if he wrote it is right for a man to love his neighbor as himself it was wrong for me to pocket this another sent three hundred pounds the transaction by which i acquired it was not quite honest he said i have been examining the records of our criminal courts wrote a rochester attorney to mr finney and i find that whereas our city has increased threefold since your visit there is not one-third as many prosecutions as there had been up to that time and so as whittier would say the flood of emotion deep and strong troubled the land as it swept along but left a result in holier lives finney's missions were called revivals but they were ethical revivals wickedness wilted like a weed in a flame finney was fiery and fire burns and fire hurts finney's intensity often stung as i turn the pages of his autobiography i see him constantly subjected to violence and persecution at one place he was molested by an angry mob at another a gang of roughs have sworn to tar and feather him at a third the police discover a plot that aimed at his very life because of his friendship with lloyd garrison the pioneer abolitionist and of his sympathy with the cause of the slaves his church was burned to the ground the firemen refusing to extinguish the flames he preached with all his heart he was fiery and fire hurts and fire spreads i am arrested by an interesting coincidence when mr moody paid his first visit to england dr dale attended the meetings to ascertain if he could the secret of the evangelist's extraordinary power his preaching wrote dr dale in recording his experience his preaching had all the effect of luther's he exulted in the free grace of god his joy was contagious men leaped out of darkness into light and lived a christian life for ever afterwards now singularly enough dr dale's predecessor at carr's lane john angel james submitted mr moody's predecessor charles g finney to an identically similar investigation and he came to an identically similar conclusion the enormous crowds the profound impression the spiritual awakening the ethical reformation it was the contagion of the preacher's joy finney was fiery and fire spreads as a young man finney walked out of his office declaring that he had received a retainer from the lord jesus christ to plead his cause he gained his verdict in the hearts of two great nations his converts were countless 
Dr. Charles Bush says that in one year the churches of Rochester Presbytery welcomed more than 1,200 new members as a result of his ministry. His books were read with avidity at every fireside in England and America. As professor of pastoral theology at Oberlin College, he impressed his character upon all his students and infected them with his intense and ardent spirit. He worked with all his heart to the very, very end. He was eighty-three. He still stood erect. His fine figure inspired universal reverence, and his life abounded in noble and gracious ministries. On a beautiful Sunday evening in the summer of 1875, he did not go to church. But at sunset he walked with his wife to the gate to hear the music wafted towards them from the open window of the sanctuary. And then he went to bed and to sleep. He awoke in the presence of his Lord. He had sought him and found him, for he had searched with all his heart. End of section 14